Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. It's me, Ellie. Hello. Surprise. Surprise. I don't normally do the intros, but I'm making a special exception because we have got two, not just one, but two bits of exciting news to share with you today. And the first is that today's episode is none other than the magnificent Mr. William Porter. So good. So good. And we had to try and keep this under wraps for a while. Um, So William kindly agreed to join us as part of this series on our most influential and um, inspirational teachers. And it was a wonderful conversation. And William is just such a nice guy. And I had the pleasure of meeting him very briefly over the weekend at Sober Dave's Christmas party. And so big hello again to you, William, and thank you. Um, We're really, really uh, honoured and blessed that you came and spent some time with us. And we'd love to do it again. So... um, uh thank you from the bottom of our hearts and you guys are really going to enjoy this episode it's awesome we talk about uh sleep we talk about nicotine um and sam made a good point actually we also talk about the uh sobriety breakthrough live simon's event in january which has now unfortunately been cancelled um but the conversation we felt was still uh, there was still value in that and it's still important to have so we haven't edited that out absolutely and and um simon said that he's planning to you know run the event later in 2022 so all that stuff is just kind of like a like a just a more like a teaser for what is to come yes um, when covid's yeah. hopefully done one yeah and also uh we're going to have a festive sweepstick and we're going to guess when Sam and I are eventually going to meet in person because we've yeah. been talking about this whole thing. We're going to meet in January and now we're not, unless you come to my house. We could do New Year's Eve party or are we allowed? I'm not sure. I think we might Let's have not to dwell wait. on that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but the other, the other piece of really, really exciting news is that Mr. Sam and I are my effort a drum roll we're going to both be coaching in the live alcohol experiment in january <laughs> which is just so exciting um it's my favorite thing to do it is my home group because two years ago i was enrolled in the january 2020 live alcohol experiment as a participant and if you know anything about my story you'll know how life-changing it was for me so to be able to go back to that home group this is now my second rodeo in the January Life Alcohol Experiment, and it's always an absolute belter because it's the big one. It's I think last year it was about three and a half thousand people. Oh, so it's gonna it's gonna be a biggie. It's gonna be a biggie, and so um, please do come and join us in that because it is phenomenal. It's forty seven dollars, which is nothing when you think about what you're gonna save from not drinking in January. And it's jam-packed full of stuff, including coaching from Sam and I every week. So I'm going to be kicking us off on New Year's Day and then coaching every Saturday at six o'clock UK time, one o'clock Eastern. And you're coaching Mondays, right? Rocking on Mondays at three, um, if I remember correctly. 
um yeah which is 10 a.m eastern um so yes it's going to be awesome and it really is cool and even if you've done if you've done the alcohol experiment on the app because there's a there's for anyone who who can't can't afford to come in for the 47 dollar there's always that option to download the app and do that for free um it's just great wherever you are in your journey like it's it's funny how when you're ready to hear things and then they click and there's something about being in 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 that environment and being around the coaches and yeah, it's great fun. So if you're looking for something cool to do in Jan, that is on the list. Yes. And two other things I'd say about it um, is that you you don't you don't have to commit to giving up alcohol for the whole month either, because I hear a lot of that, like, oh, I'll have to give up for the full month. I'm not sure I can do that. That's not what it's about. It's called an experiment for a reason. It's mm. testing the hypothesis of you're going to feel better if you don't drink. So even if you manage only a couple of days or you you manage some time alcohol free and you have uh, some time where you choose to drink, even if you drink through the whole thing, but you engage with the process and the content and the coaching, you are going to come out of it with uh, a, a potentially a different view. You're going to have information that you didn't have at the start. And there's, a, there's another reason that I think that it's worth giving it a go and why December and then into January is a really great time to do it because when you sign up, like if you, if you go and click the link and sign up today, you go straight into the Facebook group. Yeah. Um, you, uh, so you're getting all of that community over the festive period. And for me, that was wonderful. Like just uh, having this touch point with people that are just like me, so interesting and so much fun over the Christmas period. You also get pre-work to do. And part of that pre-work is mindful drinking. What better time to do that than over Christmas? And you may know from my story, I chose, this is back in December, 2019. I chose to drink specifically on Christmas Eve because I wanted to test out the belief of, I like the way it makes me feel. So I've got my champagne, I've got Michael Buble on and wrapping the presents. And that, that was a really interesting, insightful experience. And then the next day I went alcohol free Christmas day. And it's like, Oh my goodness. I learned so much from that. So it's a really great time to do it because you can pack yourself full of all of this data and insight before you then get into the experiment in January. And another thing about this experiment that's special, aside from the fact that Sam and I are in it, they, they, this snake in mind have, um, offered up or they will offer up when you go through the checkout. There's a one-time offer for a VIP pass. So for something like another 50 bucks, you can sign up for a VIP pass and you get to go on to accountability calls each week. And guess who's doing the accountability calls? Mr. Sam, me, and a lovely coach called Christy. So you've got the three of us um, also there for, for those calls each week. So it's a really phenomenal thing to be involved in. And you'd be mad if you miss it. Yeah. And I think it is just really important to know that it's been called an experiment for good reason. It's not a challenge. It's not a course. It's not a blah, blah, blah. Even though it might have elements of videos and, and information that you might get on some of those things. The thing with an experiment is you always get a result. And look, let's be honest, it might not be the result you want. But the thing with an experiment is you do them to get a result, to learn from them, to experiment, to do them, to get a result. And that really is how we make progress. That's how we learn and how we move forwards. <clears throat> and um, it's a brilliant place to do that. So come rock out in January. Be fun. Woohoo. 
Hello, lovely listeners. Right. I am so excited about this. I um, have been looking forward to this for a long, long time. Um, We've got William Porter with us, which is just a little bit surreal and um, probably less surreal for him than it is for us, to be honest. But um, yeah, we were just, William, we were just talking about how how amazing it is that, you know, that that you were able to self-publish essentially something that's had such a profound impact on people and and speaking from my perspective it was the combination of alcohol explained in this naked mind that were kind of synergistic that set me free um so i'm so grateful that that's the case and and we were just talking about you know amazon and and how that actually happened and how it might not have happened if it was 20 or 30 years ago right yeah, no, absolutely. Because, well, funny enough, I think any any naked mind now is published through a publisher, Penguin, I think. But originally, that was self published as well. Yeah. So I wrote Alcohol Explained. I sent it out to a lot of agents and publishers, and there was no interest at all in it. And I I'd all but given up on it and just thought, well, I've done my best. It's not going anywhere. And then somebody mentioned something about Kindle Direct Publishing. Mm-hmm. which is literally as easy. You get a Word document, you upload it to Amazon, and a couple of hours later, I think they do some kind of automated check on it or something. But a couple of hours later, you get an email saying your book is now live in the Kindle store. Mm-hmm. And, and it's as simple as that. So, yeah, as, as I was saying, you know, <laughs> some people are very critical of that Amazon, and sometimes I think for good reason. Yeah, Actually, if it wasn't for Amazon, Alcohol Explained would be gathering dust in a drawer somewhere. It just would never have seen the light of day. And it's so true of some of the social media platforms as well. Like we hear so much of the negative stuff, but if I think about the amount of people that I've connected with through Facebook and 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 those connections wouldn't have been made if, if that tool wasn't there so i guess it's not black and white is it it's nuanced how we how we interact with these platforms and yeah, yeah. they can be an overwhelming force for good um so yeah yeah awesome. i think so yeah i mean it, it, like a lot of these things it's all about communicating information and it, if the information you're communicating is good then it's a yeah. force for good but if you're com- communicating you know, petty spite and <laughs> vitriol then probably less so yeah yeah and i mean there's enough of that as well to be fair <laughs> exactly yeah um well, look, we, we, you know, we've asked you to come on the podcast because we would love to just riff and talk a bit about two key things. One of them is kind of like alcohol and sleep, because for so many of our listeners, like sleep is a huge thing. And there's such a strong story about alcohol and sleep out there. Um, yep. And I think it'd be really interesting to dive into that. And then also to, to talk about nicotine, um, which you said, you know, you haven't sp- spoken about as much because very often you're talking about alcohol. So amazing. We'd, we'd love to talk about that as well. Um, Excellent. So I guess like one really a big question I'd like to ask in in the context of like, you know, we have like nightcaps and this old story about, you know, alcohol and and sleep. They kind of like go hand in hand. And what are like some key things that you really think people need to know about alcohol and sleep um, that not enough people know right now? So the key point with alcohol always comes back to a kind of quite a basic chemical and physiological reaction. Mm -hmm. So alcohol is a drug. A lot of people actually (laughs) don't believe that, but it is a drug and it is a sedative. It's a depressant, which means it's something that decreases or inhibits nerve activity. Now your brain, the human brain creates and excretes its own array of drugs, chemicals, and hormones. There's loads and loads of these. Some of these you would have heard about like adrenaline and cortisol and endorphins and dopamine and all this. There's loads and loads of them. But what it tries to do, it tries to maintain like a chemical balance. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if you introduce something like alcohol that interrupts this chemical balance, your brain takes steps to counter it and to try and bring it back to, to an even keel. So what happens when you drink alcohol, which is a sedative, your brain does lots of things, but essentially what it, what it amounts to is it, it becomes hypersensitive so it can work under the sedating effects of the alcohol, um, which is all well and good. That's your brain trying to survive a poison and trying to react to it and to keep you functioning. But the problem is when the alcohol wears off, that overstimulation, that anxiety is still there. Um, and obviously, the more you drink, the worse it gets. Now, the problem is over time, your brain becomes more and more proficient at countering the alcohol with several effects. Firstly, you've got to drink more to get the same effect. Secondly, you're able to drink more. That's what tolerance is. You know, everyone's on board with the fact that you can drink more now than you could 10 years ago. Your tolerance mm -hmm. goes up. But not many people actually stop and think, hang on, what has changed in me physically that allows me to drink more? The answer is it's the brain's ability to, to adapt. Um, and of course, the third and most important thing is the withdrawal gets worse. Now, when I say withdrawal, it's that unpleasant feeling that is left behind when the drink wears off. Now, a lot of people struggle with that concept and say, wow, so like everyone who drinks an alcoholic drink gets a withdrawal. The answer is yes, if your definition of withdrawal is it's an unpleasant feeling caused by a chemical imbalance that is itself caused by the previous dose of the drug that's exactly what it is. That's what anxiety is, that anxious feeling yeah. you get the day after drinking. So to come on to the next step, what, what that withdrawal actually feels like, most people who ha haven't drunk alcohol or, or not aware of you know the direct feeling, the closest I can describe it is when you have too much caffeine. So, you know, when you just <laughs> drink too much coffee yeah. and your brain, you know, it's a horrible feeling. You feel a bit tense, a bit anxious. You can't concentrate on anything. Your mind's jumping around loads. Um, and that's really what it feels like. Um, and that's where we come into how sleep, how it affects sleep, mm -hmm. because that withdrawal peaks at about five hours after your last drink. So, and again, going back to what I said before, it's like drinking too much caffeine. It's like having too much stimulant inside you. It's not a pleasant feeling. So this is why a lot of drinkers find they wake up at three, four, five in the morning, whatever, feeling anxious and go and get back to sleep. They may be utterly exhausted and in desperate need of sleep. But because of that chemical imbalance, it's as if, you know, as if they woke, set an alarm and woken up and drunk, you know, five or six mugs of strong black coffee wired but tired yeah, yeah exactly yeah very, yeah very yeah. well put and yeah. it's, re it's really interesting that for a lot of people it's like as you say it is crazily how consistent that is it's yeah. almost like sometimes you look and look at the alarm and you're like bloody hell that's 3.33 every single night what is going yeah, yeah. on it, it, it's the habit it, it's the last joke I remember talking to someone once and them saying well I don't get that and when we sort of delved into it a bit more it's because he was drinking till like one or two in the morning so like waking up after five hours was fine you just get up out of bed that was his night's sleep um but it is that if you, if you make a note of the time you have your last drink it's almost exactly five hours that you wake up after it yeah, I used to have this experience of um, I was when my drinking was at its worst, so to say, I was in Poland and uh, I used to wake up at like I get back in a bit later. So I but mm. I wake up at like six in the morning with a chronic hangover. And I'd always say to myself, it's OK, I'll just sleep it off. And I'd always think back to this like 17 year old Sam. that was like, oh, yeah, I'll just sleep. 
But you yeah. can't. And you just no. feel like death. And you're just lying there thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> when yeah. is this going to end? Yeah, it's awful. No, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, what's actually happening there then? So, you know, when we because a lot of people have this experience where they're like, you know, their head hits the pillow, particularly if you're somebody who drinks up to the moment, literally up to the moment where you go to bed, you, your head hits the pillow and, you, you know, you're out. And mm. but then you have this experience of four or five hours later, you're up. So yeah. in that first stage, what's happening that just like knocks you out? Okay, so there, there's, there's a few points that those first five hours, and this is one of the other problems, because you might be thinking, well, at least I'm getting five hours sleep. But that's not the case anyway, because um, a lot of people think, you know, your head hits the pillow, you, you fall unconscious, and that's sleep. Well, it isn't. To get restorative sleep you know the kind of sleep where you wake up and feel good in the morning mm -hmm. you have to go through certain sleep cycles now there's a huge amount that we as humans don't really understand about sleep but what we do understand is there's different sleep cycles and one of the main differentiating factors between these sleep cycles is how deeply unconscious you are so you've got something called deep sleep, where, as you can imagine, you're quite deeply unconscious. And that's where if you get woken up in deep sleep, it's where you feel really groggy and you can't quite wake up. But there's a, there's another sleep cycle called REM sleep. Now, REM sleep is really interesting, but we know even and understand even less about it. But it's when we dream and when they've monitored people um, and attached sensors to them and monitored them through REM sleep, their brain lights up almost as if they're fully awake. So it's this really strange, you know, it's, it's where we dream. We don't really know much about it, but they've done tests on rats where they've starved them of REM sleep and they've been dead within a few weeks. Yeah. They've tried to do trials on humans where they monitor them and they wake them up when they're going to REM sleep. Some people get through the test, but the majority of people can't do it. They become very tired, disorientated, depressed, and they just walk out the, walk out the um, test. So it's quite a difficult thing to do. Now, when you have those five hours sleep, you're not getting quality sleep anyway, because for those five hours, you're too heavily sedated to go into REM sleep. So you're not getting that crucial sleep cycle. If you're not drinking, you average out at six or seven cycles of REM sleep, whereas when you're drinking, you average at two. Wow. So it massively decreases your REM sleep. Um, but going back to what you were saying about, you know, when your head hits the pillow, and, and this is this is one of the reasons people don't understand or don't believe that alcohol is so damaging on their sleep is because a lot of people's experience is that alcohol does put them to sleep. It helps them sleep, mm -hmm. which to a degree is correct. It is a sedative. So it does help you go to sleep, but it doesn't let you go into those sleep cycles. But there's another dynamic there with regular drinkers because when you don't drink, when you get towards bedtime, your brain starts to work, like close things down. Um, so you then drift off into sleep. And that's why we're always being told about good sleep hygiene, you know, where you put your phone away and, you know, you, you have a hot bath or whatever and, you, you know, no loud noise or whatever and read a book. And it's all about sending a message to your brain. It's nearly bedtime. Start closing things down. Now, when you drink regularly, and this is going back to things like nightcaps, what you're doing is you're using the sedating effect of alcohol instead of your brain closing things down. So the brain being a great adapter stops going through that process itself. So when you drink regularly, your brain stops closing things down and winding you down towards bed and just relies on the alcohol. 
So people's experiences, when they don't drink, they can't sleep. Yeah. Now it only, it takes a few, you know, so if you're a regular drinker and you stop, it takes a few nights for it to get back to normal. But like a lot of things with alcohol, people base their understanding of it on their personal beliefs, which is when I drink, I sleep. And when I don't drink, I can't sleep. Therefore, mm. alcohol helps me sleep. Yeah. And I think that one of the, the things that your work in particular has given me, William, is, is this ability to be able to zoom out. So I think it's like to see the dots and connect them between like, well, you know, that one time that I drank four pints and skipped merrily home and was like, well done, mate, you know, is connected to the week after where I fell in a canal, you know, well, there's, there's always like, and, and if you don't zoom out, your brain will always take you back to that, like one time when you were 19 in a beer garden. And, yeah. and skip all the other horrible times. And, and with sleep, it's like, you know, because we don't see the, the bad stuff, because it takes a few hours, it's like our subconscious mind just doesn't join the dots. Mm. So it can yeah. be really powerful to have a kind of like a conscious method of zooming out and going, hang on a minute. And I mm. think that's something your work is really amazing at doing, is allowing you to have that perspective shift. Yeah, I think it. a lot of it is, with alcohol, I always kind of think of it that, everybody has their reasons to drink so mm. you know when you're starting out you know it's fun but you do it to socialize there's very little downside unless I drink too much and get a hangover but even that's kind of comical and a rite of passage and then yeah. as you progress a bit it's kind of like social occasions aren't really the same without a drink um I you know I need it to sleep I need it to relax and then if you carry on down the process right at the other end of the scale you've got people that are very chronically dependent who they know it's destroying their life but equally they feel so awful when they're not drinking they mm. genuinely believe that they need it just to get through the day so actually you've got this massive array of all these different beliefs around alcohol that keep everyone from people just first sampling it right through to those that are chronically dependent they keep us going back to it but when you actually break them down and shine the light of reason on them they're all false. It's all yeah. smoke and mirrors. And yeah. when you expose it for what it is, there's not much left to keep dragging us in. Mm. And, and uh, I mean, this is exactly my, so my experience. I, mum of three, was very, I, I always sort of described myself as like I was a massive social drinker. Then I had kids. And then it was my way of relaxing, mm. escaping, checking out at the end of the day, trying to, um, well, it was my self-care effectively yeah and and I, I didn't know any better way and it was purely by chance that I came across this naked mind so Annie has a pdf the I talk about this all the time <laughs> the six vital things you need to know about moderation which is the basic science of how alcohol works the brain and body when I found this I could not believe it and she has this qualifier at the beginning that says it's something like your brain's going to try and tell you that this isn't true because you're not going to want to believe it. And, and I'm so glad she had that yeah. in there because had it been written in a different way, I'd have potentially discarded it. But, but that brought me in. And, and when I read how it worked, like I could, what a fucking scam this is. Like, how did I, how did I not know this? And I yeah. honestly, like, I, I was then on this like little mini crusade because I'm thinking, well, I had, like everyone's just being bloody scammed. How do we not know this? But you don't, when you're in it, you don't go looking for how 
bad it is for you no. quite the opposite you go looking for the articles that tell you red wine's good for you because it's mm. good for your heart health and information bias yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 well i think people everyone is very protective of it they don't want to hear anything about it and one of the reasons is going back to you know it's our experience of it so it's our experience that you know you go out with friends and you drink and you enjoy yourself and then the time where you're a designated driver or you've got something that you can't drink, you go out and you don't enjoy yourself. So similar to sleep, you say to yourself, okay, well, I don't enjoy myself when I'm not drinking. I mm. do enjoy myself when I am drinking. And we do a similar thing with relaxing in the evening as well. Whatever it is, I've had a bad day. I need a drink to relax. So it's all these different things playing into it. And actually it's all, yeah, exactly. It's just smoke and mirrors. It's unbelievable. So you reverse engineer the logic and end up with just a silly, yeah, a story that doesn't that doesn't work. Yeah, just something to fit fit what you want to keep doing. And I think that's another reason because people, that's their experience that life just isn't quite the same without it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I need to keep taking it. So then I'm not going to stop. So you're then just, you know, filling in the gaps, just looking for reasons to keep going, ignoring the bad and just concentrating on anything that gives you sort of free license to keep drinking. It's funny that because if you have a story about alcohol and then you take alcohol away, but you you don't then have any upgraded kind of like to me, there's a difference between information and insight. It's like for some reason, like there's these amazing books out there. But then every now and again, something deeper happens. It's like Ellie had like an insight where you get like an embodied understanding of what's going on, which is, mm -hmm. you know, almost like sort of below the or above the level of words. It's like, oh, shit, I get it now. And if you don't have anything to replace it with, you just get that experience of like, well, I know that that works like that. I have a story about that. And then I'm like stripped of that and there's nothing there. So it's actually like upgrading our understanding and having a new, at some point, if we do that well, different things start making sense to us. So suddenly if you've got an up, like a, a much closer to reality version of story, then mm. suddenly you go, it literally makes no sense to me to to drink anymore because I get what's going on. But that and that's the journey, and that's what's so wonderful about your book, William, is that for me that was like a massive piece of the puzzle. Mm. It just helped so many things click. Um, mm. I would just I'd love to just something you said about REM sleep that I think some people may not realize is so I had a really powerful powerful insight when I read Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep, and. The thing that hit me was that REM is not just about helping us remember. I think a lot of people know it helps with mem memory, but it's this process of helping us forget as well and process kind of like trauma. So when we're in this loop of drinking and feeling anxious and having the, the depression of the chemicals, and but then we get that as well, it's kind of like this continual residual buildup of, the, of this anxiety that turns, I don't, this may have even been from your book, but it turns molehills into mountains mm, where yeah. just like these things just that should be small, just suddenly start seeming massive. And then a few good nights sleep and it's like the entire bloody world has changed. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It really is. No, exactly. It's one of the things you know, your body digests food and your brain digests your experiences and your mm, information. Yeah. It does it a lot when you're asleep. This is what dreaming and, and on all these sleep cycles it's about. We don't understand much about it, but like how many times have you had a really good night's sleep and woken up and I, I do it quite regularly and I'm trying to mull something over and I wake up and I have the solution the next day. It's almost mm. like you're, you know, you're unconscious, but your brain's still turning things over or, restoring itself or whatever so the next morning it's there 
but you're right when you're when you're robbing yourself of that it's just that that process just doesn't happen and whatever it is that's causing you angst in the first place is just never quite being digested and assimilated Mm -hmm. what would you so for somebody who is in that phase where they've stopped drinking and they're kind of like they're they're worried that they think oh i'm broken like it's not gonna you know it's not gonna recalibrate what am i gonna get back so what are some things that people can do to not kind of speed up that process but know that they're doing everything they can to invite it uh for that recalibration and and balancing to happen like in in good time so if we're talking specifically about sleep there's there's a few things you can do because obviously alcohol isn't the only drug we take that interferes with sleep there's nicotine Mm -hmm. and caffeine as well so that's one of the things to avoid. And in, and in fact, that, that was one of the things I always found when I was hungover. So when people are hungover, you're tired, which kind of encourages you to want to drink more coffee, yeah. but it makes the anxiety worse. So actually, I always advise, advise people if they can in the first few days when they're not drinking, if you can avoid caffeine, you probably do feel better for it. Mm-hmm. And you stand your best chance of actually getting some sleep because for a lot of people, the first night particularly is going to be a bad night you're not going to sleep very well and it's not a nice feeling at all um so the other thing you can do is exercise but with exercise try and do it earlier in the day because when you exercise your brain releases adrenaline all the rest of it actually keeps you awake so exercising later in the day can disturb your sleep so the thing to do is to try and do it as early as possible um because exercise ties you out as well and gives you a chance of sleeping um so that's probably useful another thing to mention which a lot of people don't think about is we tend to eat our main meals in the evening but actually digestion takes up a lot of energy so Mm -hmm. when you eat something you've got something like 20 foot of digestive tract for it to move through and you've got muscles that squeeze it all the way so this is why we feel tired after we eat because all the energy goes into digestion um but although it makes us tired, it can disturb our sleep because when you digest, it creates a lot of heat energy and yeah. movement, all the rest of it. So that's another thing to try and avoid doing is eating large meals later in the day. Mm. The, the caffeine thing's a really interesting one because, uh, the, as you said, the two usually come hand in hand. So people that come to me for coaching, will <laughs> so they're usually doing the god-awful thing of, Um, They get up on a morning and they feel crappy and have had a rough night's sleep. And so they start with the caffeine to stimulate themselves and to wake up. And then like, if they're like me and they've got three kids running around, they then need caffeine throughout the day to stay awake. I had one lady that came to me and if she's listening, she knows who she is. She thought she was drinking a, a fair bit of caffeine with coffee but what she hadn't computed that she was also adding in these there was some kind of like sachet that you put into water and that had caffeine in it as well so right throughout her day she is topping herself up with more and more caffeine and and a a massive um multiple mugs of caffeine I mean it, it was horrendous I couldn't believe it when she told me the amount she was drinking but then what happens at the end of the day then she wants to try and wind down and so that's when she was tipping the alcohol in and it's just like this roller coaster that you're taking your body and your brain on and so I'm very unpopular because I'm (laughs) trying to help people to remove alcohol and also caffeine at the same time and and it kind of often I find that people have a a visceral reaction to it like it's like oh you can't take everything away from me (laughs) but I just know having gone through it so many times with people now 
the difference that it makes. And, you know, Sam, Sam and I, in, in the work that we do here together and in our coaching practices, it's all about like, how does, whatever the thing is, how does it make you feel? Because that's, that, you know, that, that's a marker. If something's making you feel terrible, then you want to be doing less of that. And if something makes you feel good, you want to do more of it. But I think there is this bit where in the short term, you're going to feel worse before you feel better. And it's, you know, how ready are you to lean into that? Usually people are willing to, you know, have a, a leap of faith, go with me and, and, and head into it. But it's like you mentioned earlier on about um, that. I think there can be a lot of fear of that first. So if you, if you take, if you've been drinking for many years and you take it out and then that first night and your sleep is, you can't, just can't get to sleep. Like that can, that can, you know, put pay to it for some people because they're so fearful of not like it's, it's not nice, is it? Not being able to sleep. Mm. But I think there is this barrier of it is going to be it is going to get worse before it gets better. But what you don't know is just how good it's going to get. How much better? Yeah. 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 I think that's so. Going back to what I was talking about, you know, the beliefs about alcohol, that thing that keeps dragging us in. I think there's another set of beliefs around sobriety and how yeah. <laughs> boring and awful it is, and that, and it just isn't. And that's another thing I think that keeps people going back to alcohol is because of again false beliefs about what it's like to be sober yeah a lot of people have like a, they they think they have a fear a fear of failure but they're actually working with a fear of success and the reason is they think success is shit <laughs> yeah yeah and it 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 is you know you do have to go through it the way through it is through it but when you get there i mean i had the same experience with caffeine i recently came off caffeine again i've decided that i'm just I'm just leaving it be where it is. Before you I, just bought your bloody coffee machine. Well, well, it's going to have decaf running through it. I'll tell you. <laughs> I had an experience about a year ago, having really lent deep into the caffeine thing for four years after I stopped drinking. Um, I didn't realize I was drinking probably a thousand or fifty, you know, one thousand five hundred milligrams of caffeine a day. So when I came off of it, I had such crazy headaches. I had dizziness. I had backache. I was really shocked. At how my body responded and I've learned from that and I tapered off it this time um because I was like wow I didn't realize it was going to have that impact on me but I would say is that what I've really realized is that you know when you drink so much coffee in the morning you do pay the price because your adrenals are done in the afternoon and you you're borrowing it like it's not coming from the it's coming from you no mm. the caffeine is a signal is a chemical signal that's telling your body to release energy and then we all have this experience at three or four o'clock where you know, we're reaching for more quite caffeine and, and then the cycle just continues. And to be out of that, there's so much joy in just meeting life um, clear and without anything in your system. And when you do that, all the evolutionary stuff kicks in, all those hormones you're talking about, William, all those natural things. And, you know, look, we're supposed to feel good. <laughs> yeah. Like the human experience is one of joy and happiness and peace and, and all those things become available to you. And there is a leap of faith required because we do kind of get into the story so much that we we don't kind of believe it. Mm. We're like, is it even possible for me? And, you know, we, we're all here saying, yes, it, it bloody well is at the end of the day, aren't we? So, yeah, I think that's the thing. It, it, it's just, it's useful for people to understand it is short term. Mm -hmm. If you're drinking regularly, 
how you feel when you first stop is not good. You're going to feel anxious, out of sorts, not pleasant. You're not going to sleep well. And I think that can put people off because they just think this is life without alcohol. But of course it isn't. I think it's really useful for, for people to understand that there's a chemical element and your brain, as soon as you, you finish that last drink, your brain's already working to correct itself. And with a few, in a few days, you get back to normal. And, and, and this is one of the things about, you know, these false beliefs about sobriety, what I can't get through to people enough, waking up, having had a good night's natural sleep is one of the best feelings in the world. And when you do quit alcohol, when you've got through that initial tough period, you will feel better all the time than you ever did as a drinker, including when you were having that first drink of the day that was so important and you thought was felt so wonderful or, you know, that first drink you have when you're out with friends or whatever it is. You've, and of course you have bad days. Everyone has bad days, but you just, your natural you know your your baseline is so much higher when you're sober and and that's it and that goes back to exactly what you were saying you know if you just stop messing around with the chemicals in your head you'll generally feel pretty good that's yeah. how it works you realize how much of that anxiety is unnecessary essentially and how much yeah. of those feelings are not needed yeah Sorry, so Eddie, many people, off. heavy drinkers, you know, like go to the doctor with anxiety or depression issues and they're, they're prescribed something, but actually it is to do with the alcohol. I've heard so, and, and, and this isn't true of everyone because some people do have un underlying anxiety issues or depression issues or whatever it is. But I think for a significant number of people, it is the alcohol. I know so <laughs> many people who've mm. been on things for either anxiety or depression and then stopped drinking and realized it was actually the alcohol that was causing it all along because mm. very simply the interruption to the brain chemistry and, and, and the impact on sleep. Cause I quite often say to people, imagine, say you need eight hours sleep. Okay. And you go to bed at 11 and you wake up at seven and that's you, you know, we don't understand much about REM sleep or sleep patterns, all the rest of it, but we do know that you're at your best when you've had a good night's sleep. So you have your eight hours sleep and that's it. That's you at your best. Imagine setting an alarm for three in the morning every night and getting up and drinking four jugs of really strong black coffee to lie there twitching and sweating for the rest of the night, unable to get back to sleep. And imagine doing that for a decade. <laughs> what yeah. it would do to your mental health and your physical. That's what you do when you drink. It's mm. unbelievable. It is. Sorry, Sorry I, was just, I was just going to say that and the other thing that comes up so often is this impatience with, so people, and in fact, I was coaching a wonderful group of women earlier on today, and, and one of them was talking about how oh, I'm just exhausted. I'm really, really, really tired. I'm really tired. I said, just remind me, how many days in are you? And she's around 35 days. I said, okay and how many years were you drinking for again and and this is the thing like we forget I've had this conversation so many times you you make the change you upgrade your level of knowledge and understanding and then we expect everything to just you know turn on a sixpence and it's all wonderful mm. um and of course there are a lot of wonderful things along the way but it's, I, I always, when I was going through the alcohol experiment as a participant myself, I reframed everything as anything that felt crappy, this is healing. This is the space that my body's having. 
my brain's having to heal itself. And so anytime I felt rubbish, I just kept telling myself, but this is, this is all part of the process. And over the other side, I'm going to feel so much better. But there is this real impatience with, well, I've stopped for two weeks or 30 days. So yeah. everything should be amazing now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is understandable. I mean, people want to feel good, but it does. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It takes time. And if you haven't been sleeping for a decade or more, it takes time to catch up. It's unbelievable the difference that makes, though. Alan Carr used to always talk about how if you knew that when when he was talking about nicotine, when it was leaving your body, that it was the last death throes of this thing and you were finally going to get rid of all of that crap, even in the discomfort, you could feel equanimity and you could yeah, yeah. feel some knowledge. And, and having that frame, like me and Ellie often talk about how I think a lot of people are really scared of cravings or really scared of triggers and things. And it's like, well... Mm. Well, no, often they're, they're there to, to teach us something or show us something. You know, what is it we've been reaching for? What do we think alcohol has been giving us? That if we find a really lovely like way of meeting that need, suddenly we can have this like really wonderful relationship with, with a new hobby or something else that we bring into our life. So that the framing is just so important. The story that we have really colors everything we see out there. Um, and the amount of times people come and say to me, look, I've been reading about it and I know that the first two weeks are going to be hell. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and we break it down and we have a chat. And interestingly, quite a few people that I've worked with recently have said to me, do you know what? It really hasn't been what I thought it was going to be. I was convinced that it was going to be sheer hell. And I mean, I often say to people, if you think it's going to be, then that's probably the experience that you're going to have. And it's not always easy and it is difficult, but I do know that if we make the decision that it's going to be bloody awful, then it's going to make it much more likely that that's the experience that we have. Um, and actually just learning to, to ride the wave and feel the feelings and take the leap of faith and trust that we're doing the right thing for us and our body and trust in the wisdom of our own body is, is so much of the journey. That's so much of it, um, in my experience anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that it's so true because I think the point with cravings is they are a conscious thought process. Mm -hmm. So they are sort of obsessing about something and not being able to stop thinking about it. Um, and if you approach something positively, so if you approach it to even approach drink, stopping drinking positively, if you change your mindset about what alcohol is and actually start to see it as something, it is just smoke and mirrors. There's not much to it. It gives very, very little and takes so much and you're approaching it really positively, you will cut back massively on the cravings because the cravings is essentially you sat there thinking, I really want a drink now. Mm. And actually, if you don't want one and you think, I remember Alan Carr saying this, is basically if every time the thought of it enters your mind, you think how lucky you are yeah. to be free of it, you won't crave because the craving is the trigger, i.e. the thought of an alcoholic drink entering your mind, and then it's, what do I do with it? Do I think to myself, oh, I really love a drink. I can't relax without one. I can't socialize without, I can't do da, 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 da without it. Then of course you won't, because, you know, as an example, if you get home from work and you've had a bad day and you're looking forward to relaxing and watching whatever box set on Netflix and having a takeaway and you get your takeaway and you put your box set on, but actually you're not concentrating on the box set and you're not thinking about the food because you're have going through this unpleasant little mental tantrum about whether to drink or not. Of course, you're not going to enjoy yourself. Yeah. So you pour a drink 
And actually the alcohol's done nothing other than to re remove the purely psychological craving process. And with that gone, what can you do? Well, you can concentrate on your box set and you can concentrate on your takeaway and enjoy yourself. So it's not actually doing anything. It's, it, it's a placebo. And that, that's the key about cravings is it, we're talking completely about a placebo at that point. Mm. So there's that's... a whole thing about um, scratching the itch. Yeah. Um, I, I remember talking when I coached in the live alcohol experiment, I remember talking to people then about like that there's, there is simply no upside to it. But you have to, going back to what you were talking about earlier, Sam, you have to embody the experience. So you, you have to, so you can read William's book or you can watch the videos from the alcohol experiment or read This Naked Mind. And then all you need to do is go and take the experiment for yourself. And, and you, there's a chapter in your book, William, that I've quoted to people a few times. Just go and do this. And it's the... Um, having the one drink at yeah. four o'clock in the afternoon. So, you know, not out with friends and all the rest of it, but just go and have that one drink and then see what happens. Because mm. that, that, that isn't somebody's opinion. That isn't uh, just reading the information. That is experiencing it for yourself. And that to me is, is just so enormously powerful. And that's why I'm so thankful for... Annie's work and your work because it just it it's not um it's not trying to convince anybody it's just look here, here you go hit, make an informed choice go and experience it for yourself and see what you think mm. yeah exactly did you this is the thing with it, it when, when you strip it away there's so little left to it it's it's just a non-entity it really mm. is mm. and that's that thing it's like once you get to that point it stops making sense anymore Exactly. And then, yeah. all, and then it all falls away and it happens at varying points on people's journey. But for me, there was something about your book, William and, and Annie's that together sort of were the lock and the key and it kind of just fell apart for me amongst other things that were going on. And I think it does happen at varying points for people. Some people just have that insight really early on and for others, it takes a bit longer, but mm. I'd encourage anyone who's like, Oh, why hasn't that happened to me yet? Um, it's just to have some grace for yourself, trust in the journey and keep, you know, connecting with the things that intuitively you, you know, you're, you're connecting with and, and, and it will, it will. Um, you know, me and Ellie often talk about the power of journaling and all these amazing things that getting your thoughts out so you can see them in front of you. Because like you said, it's really hard to see the label from inside the jar. So very often you're going through those, ex those experiences of cravings and they're real, they're so real mm. that you need someone to knock you off your perch for a minute. And then for you to have a different frame and and yeah, I had that experience of like, I realized like, yeah, I never went and had one drink. Why? And I was like, well, I knew clear as day. Why? Because I was going to feel bloody awful. Yeah. I yeah. just didn't do it. So no. I would, William, I've got a, I don't know, Ellie, have you got anything else you'd really like to ask about alcohol and sleep or, because I, I definitely have a question or a segue into the nicotine thing, but I don't know Ooh. if you've got anything else you want to cover. <laughs> Before you step on your segue, Go for it. Um, the, the only other thing that's been bubbling around in my head is, and, and I know what the answer to this is myself, but it comes up all the time, and and it's and it's linked to this point about things get worse before they get better. The question that comes up most often in the alcohol experiment and with people that are going through early sobriety is, how long is it going to take for my sleep to settle down? and how or how long is it going to take for me to sleep better and I'd love for you to answer that William and I, 
think I might know what you're gonna say. <laughs> so th there's a few there's a few physiological processes you have to go through when you stop drinking. So obviously the first one's the the alcohol's got to leave your system. Um, but when that happens, that's when for most people the problems kick in because that's when that anxiety and insomnia and all the rest of it kicks in. Now that usually lasts for three to five days. But to caveat that, it's usually the first 24 hours, 72 hours that are the worst. So 24, 48 hours are the worst. Now, after that, you should go back into sleeping better. Okay, but that's not to necessarily say just because you're sleeping better, you're not necessarily waking up feeling refreshed. Because when people ask you about when will I be sleeping better, what they're really interested in is when am I going to wake up with loads of energy? So the problem with that is sleep is like a habit so if you're constantly disturbing your sleep for however many years you know for example if you if you wake up at two in the morning and go to the toilet you start waking up at two in the morning every morning to go to the toilet and if you want to stop doing it you've got to just lie in bed and not go to the toilet and then the next night you wake up a bit later a bit later a bit later so sleeping is a habit and it takes a while to get back into that sleep so you've got to get back. Firstly, you've got to, that whole brain chemistry has got to be back to normal. Then you need a few nights to get back into a normal sleeping habit. Then of course, you've got to catch up on the missed sleep because you're not going to be waking up feeling really refreshed until that happens. So what people usually find is they quit. Then they have a few days where they can't sleep and they feel really anxious. And that's the withdrawal phase where it's like having drunk too much caffeine. But then after that, you're in the catch up phase, which is when people feel exhausted and need loads and loads. And they, you know, they're tired, they sleep 10 hours, they wake up, they want an afternoon nap, all the rest of it. They're just tired all the time. And that's a bit how long is a piece of string because you just need to catch up. But what I would say is, and again, going back to what I was saying before, some people then quit drinking and they find they've got an, you know, an actual sleep problem which needs to be looked at. So this isn't true for everyone, but for the vast majority of people, no matter how long it takes, there is a finite number of days before you go back to normal. So I can't tell you how long it is, but just know that it doesn't last forever. And every day you're tired is one day closer to the end. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> and well and, and and also just to give people a bit of hope uh from me with three very young kids so my littlest one is now three and she oh god she <laughs> she is as i described her to annie the ultimate sleep thief so she <laughs> she for her up until she was three or just before she turned three she has been up every single night, at least four, five, six times a night, wanting to breastfeed, even, even as she's gotten older. And um, my husband and I have been sleep deprived that entire time. It's been horrific. But of course, I was drinking for some of that time. And um, I remember going through the alcohol experiment as a participant. And people, there were some, oh, there were some people that their sleep immediately got better <laughs> oh I hate you yeah. um and, and everyone's bragging about this wonderful sleep they're having and this oh and I'm just and then I had a nap during the day as well and I've got you know all these kids running around but the hope that I want to give people is even with that 
and uh, the broken sleep continued on with the littlest one up until this summer just gone. My sleep, because I, I was still having broken sleep, but the quality of sleep was so much better. So I felt better. I didn't feel, um, God, how can I describe it? It's so hard. To, it's, it's like the, the how long is a piece of string thing. And I think it, it's so subjective. But I, I know that I felt better bit by bit by bit. And even though she was up multiple times a night still, I believe that I was better rested, probably because I'm then having REM sleep that I wasn't having before. So even if you've got a sleep thief or more, one or more sleep thieves of your own, then could, like it's the best thing that you can do for yourself to you know have truly restorative sleep. And now she is sleeping. Well, so she's now sleeping, and now what I've got is a hormonal uh, roller coaster nightmare going on of <laughs> all of its own. No, but yeah. but still like. I think for me, it just amplifies that when I get, when I do get good proper, what I would class as a proper night's sleep and I wake up feeling really well rested, like just as you said earlier, William, like it is the best feeling in the world to wake up like that. In contrast to when I was drinking every morning, I'd wake up and feel like, oh, oh, you know, and not necessarily that I felt really hungover, but it was just this like the malaise and the I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the motivation, the drive. And to wake up feeling even with a sleep thief, even with hormones to wake up feeling really pretty good. It's it's awesome. It really is. So, yeah. I'm just, I'm really thankful for you being here talking to us about sleep because it is, it's such a big deal. And I think we all have a massive sleep debt to, to deal with and yeah. you know, whatever inroads you can make to that. It's, it, it's, you know, we talked to, um, we're talking to a lady called Terry Patterson. She's another, this snake of mine coach. Um, she came to talk to us about sugar and Sam, you were talking about health span as opposed Other to than lifespan. lifespan. Yeah. yeah. And I think it plays into that because if you're not, if you're not getting proper sleep, then, you know, you, you might not, you might not physically see it. I think you probably would see it a bit, but there's, there's so much going on in our bodies and don't you want to make the most of your life? Don't you want to have the best experience that you possibly can have? Mm. It's about quality of life, isn't it? Just enjoying mm. yourself. That's that's what it is for me. It's just about enjoying yourself as much as possible. And a lot mm. of people then scratch their heads. It's like, well, how are you enjoying yourself if you're not drinking? Yeah. But that's that's the message. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It yeah. just doesn't. But I think that's so important what you just said, because, you know, I well, my two now are eight and 10 and they're boys. And of course, the benefit with boys is you can run them ragged all day and then they sleep for like 10 hours straight. But if you have got whatever for whatever reason like you're a shift worker or whatever and you you kind of you're not getting the sleep you need anyway the last thing you want to be doing is poisoning that small amount of sleep you are getting with alcohol mm-hmm. you have that that experience of um when you like leave these things behind and then you you go through something challenging you wake you sort of at some point in the middle of it you say to yourself what would i have done if i was drinking through this how would yeah. I have survived? Like how, mm. and you know, and somehow we do it, but, but it's not, it's, it's really not the, uh, the opportunity, <laughs> the, the best way to be going about it. 
No. Um, amazing. Awesome. So many amazing things there for people to tune into and, and you know, like real genuine things that people can do to move forwards with that. Um, to speak a little bit to the, to the nicotine piece, I'm, I'm so interested in this because I, um, I mean, Alan Carr's book kind of blew the doors off for me with that. It was like one of those things of like, wow. And I feel like so many, so much of the amazing work that's being done in this space is, is built on, on the work that he did. Completely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and yet it takes, and yet so many of the old, old ways are still proliferating and, you know, doctors are still recommending nicotine replacement therapy. And, and there's all these things out there that are, you know, to my personal, you know, experience, not as effective. Um, and there's this narrative out there. And so I'm really interested after you'd, you know, when you'd written um, Alcohol Explained, was this something that you'd always thought that you wanted to tackle as well? Or were you just, did you kind of just realize, um, yeah, I've learned so much about this. There's so much that applies to alcohol that I can apply over to nicotine as well. What was that process like? That was a strange one for me because I, so for me, everything, I completely agree with what you said. Everything for me stemmed from Alan Carr. Mm-hmm. So I read Alan Carr in my, I think, kind of mid-teens. I seem to remember being at sixth form college and reading Alan Carr. So I was like 16 or 17. And same as you, it just, I found it amazing because it was like, for the first time, someone had like just rationalized it and and it just made so much sense. And I was amazed by it. And I ended up reading virtually everything that Alan Carr had ever written. Mm. Um, so for me, having written alcohol explained, I wasn't ever intending to write about nicotine because as far as I'm concerned, Alan Carr had had done it completely. But having said that, I do think that some of the things he, I almost see it like all of this stuff. I see it rather than just like a, you know, a one-off it's like a baton race where you know people uncover a bit and then someone else picks it up and uncovers a bit more and I just thought there was so much more you could do not different to what Alan Carr had done but kind of digging in a lot further yeah um and so that that was what did it for me really it was that I mean I I read Alan Carr but I didn't stop so I, I I read his book when I was 17 and I kept stopping and starting and going back to it and I don't think I stopped smoking properly till I was late 20s so for a long time I was kind of it made sense, but it didn't quite do it for me, if you like. So I was constantly going back to it. So I, I think in, in at the same time I was drinking and constantly thinking about drinking and why am I picking up this drink and why do I want another one when I've just had six and all the rest of it? I think I was sort of subconsciously doing a similar thing with nicotine. I had a really similar experience and I think it wasn't, I didn't really fully sort of deal with the nicotine thing until I left the alcohol behind but it's interesting because people have a there's this disconnect we've got vaping in the world now as well mm. so there's this yeah. disconnect between the cigarette nicotine and like you hear people all the time talk about you know I'm yo you know I've stopped smoking and now I'm vaping and and you know talking about harm reduction and stuff okay great there's, there's loads of different arguments on this but they fail to realize that they're still imbibing the drug and they're still on that cycle mm. and that 
actually imbibing wacky amounts of nicotine through vapes is like, I mean, my experience, you're talking about nicotine and sleep. And bloody hell did it impact mine like i my watch thing that i was measuring with and my heart rate and all that, but I went wild i was it yeah. was probably the clearest shock i had of like wow i'm not sure this is good and like I, in lots of ways i did feel better but it, it wasn't the solution like I, I same thing it's like you know it's like swapping i can't think the, the thing's not coming to me but like swapping something shit for something not quite as shit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess absolutely. Yeah. For, for lack of a better like way of putting it. Um, so, you know, the story out there is really different about nicotine. So again, like what do you, this, because Alan Carr, I think he actually mentioned, I don't know if you remember one of his books, he says that if they, if anyone ever invented a clean cigarette, he would just not want it. And I found mm. it really powerful to, to remember that, um, because this is the thing, like the, the goal is not like, oh, I'm going to take the second rate thing that's slightly healthier. The goal is I understand this to a point where I just don't need or want this thing anymore. Yeah. So, you know, what are your thoughts around that? Because, I, you know, there's a lot of there's so many mixed messages out there for people right now about that. Yeah. So the, the point with smoking versus vaping is obviously, you know, smoke's got carbon monoxide in it and all these mm -hmm. different chemicals and carcinogens. So take out the one that people are actually trying to get, which is nicotine, and give them that instead. So there is some kind of rationalization around that. But the problem is, and I've heard this from many people, there's, there's a significant number of people out there who are quite adamant that they would never smoke cigarettes, but yeah. they're addicted to vape. So it's kind of, it's almost like an impossible answer because if you stop vaping, lots of people who are addicted to nicotine will smoke cigarettes, which are arguably a lot worse for you. But if you allow vaping on the basis, it's a cleaner version of it, then aren't you encouraging people who otherwise wouldn't smoke to pick up vapes? And, and, and really it's, despite what everyone thinks, there isn't an easy answer to it. No. Because unless we jump forward 100 years and look at figures and then go back in time and start try something different, we don't know how many people are going to be killed or affected by it. But the fact of the matter is, um, and this goes back to what you were saying, nicotine is a stimulant, okay? Stimulants like nicotine increase your heart rate. Now, when your heart rate increases, you want to sit down and rest and you have less energy. It's that simple. Okay, this is why exercise is difficult. And the more you exercise, the harder it is because your heart rate goes up and your body's saying, stop, slow down and sit down. And this is one of the key points, I think, that Alan Carr touched on. He, he always said that smoking made you lethargic, but I don't think he quite delved into the science because he, mm. he, I think he, his reasoning was... Um, because your red blood cells that are supposed to be carrying nutrients and oxygen are actually carrying nicotine. It's not that at all. It's because nicotine is a stimulant. It speeds up your heart rate. It robs you of energy. Um, and, and this is one of the things similar to alcohol. People just don't think of this. You know, people smoke or they vape um, and they just are what they are. But what they don't realize is they've got so much less energy you know, just feeling less light and buoyant. And of course that has an impact on, on how you feel mentally, because when you don't feel well, when you feel heavy, everything's a drag. Whereas when, when you feel fit and strong, 
you feel more resilient mentally. That's just nature's way. You know, if, if an animal's damaged or ill, it needs to hide away and sort of lie still so it can recover. So when you're not feeling well, you feel quite timid and you just want to go away and hide. Whereas when you feel feeling well rested and fairly fit, you feel much more mentally resilient. And that's one of the things people don't appreciate with smoking and vaping is how it impacts how they feel physically and mentally. You have to feel it to believe it, right? Exactly. And that, that's yeah. the thing. Like, yeah. I think it's that leap of faith thing again. And yeah, I think that's amazing. I think that's really important. I think Alan Carr, I don't know, Jason Vale's work, and I think he even trained with Alan Carr. Maybe he he, he illuminated yeah. things a bit yeah. more. And I feel like your stuff has illuminated things even like even more powerfully for people and updated it um, into a voice as well that I think a lot of people connect with. And I don't really know where it came from, pal. But one thing I would say is you've got an amazing way of writing that just connects with people. And, and I mean, I don't know, you know, it's 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 true. Like I it's just so easy to take it in and to have it and just be like, Oh, right. Yeah, of course. That's how it works. And yeah, that's cool. That's really, Thank really you. cool. Like it's yeah. a gift. So yeah. Cause it's funny. Cause I think looking, <laughs> I went back over alcohol explained recently um, and it, it just, I, I kind of, it always makes me laugh and I can see why traditional publishers and or agents probably weren't interested <laughs> because it is a bit peculiar. I've got like chapters in there that are like, a paragraph long because I've always been kind of like okay I've got something to say I'll say it and then move on so it's, it's not always a traditionally um um yeah it's a bit of a strange book in many ways with its chapter lengths and all the rest of it yeah but it's it's funny how with when you stop smoking right you don't have you know when you stop drinking people are like why are you stopping drinking you know but when you stop smoking people are like great well done how much do you think that narrative that gets swept up with, you know, there's a real difference there, isn't there? That the story out there that we're getting told about cigarettes and, and nicotine, et cetera, is a really, really different story to the one that's yeah. being told about alcohol. How genuinely, how far behind that turning point for nicotine do you think we are with alcohol? I think that's a really interesting Thing. i reckon about 50 years 50. Oh, that's yeah and then this is just you know finger in the air time kind of stuff but yeah. that, that's the kind of feel that i've got for it because looking back so i i was born in 76 so i kind of you know like the 80s i suppose was my main growing up decade but i remember like everyone on tv was drinking and smoking you know, all the characters, they get in and they light a cigarette and pour a drink. Ab um, Yeah, yeah. Um, but you just don't see it with cigarettes anymore, but you still see it with alcohol all the time. And it is, it, it's a very interesting dynamic, but it, alcohol is going the way cigarettes are going. People are starting to realise it's a drug. It's an addictive drug. It's not good for you. Um, but it's just, it, it's more ingrained because I think... I can't remember what the figures were, but I think the the most anyone was ever smoking as a population, it was something like 60% of mm -hmm. the male population, if that sounds about right. Um, but of course, drinking is like 87% across the board. Wow. So it's much, much more deeply ingrained, I think. So it, it is behind, but it is getting there. And, and of course, there's a lot of studies now saying that millennials are the younger I sound really old now but the younger generation are just not drinking as much they just don't drink yeah. and it's not uncommon for people to just not drink not because they have a problem with it or you know, they just choose not to drink 
which you you didn't really see, you know, 30 odd years ago, 20 years ago. But things have changed massively. So, so I stopped drinking seven and a half years ago or so. And I think Alcohol Explained was published in 2015. And it was a different landscape even then. So even five or six years ago, it was very, very different. The, over those five years, the sober movement's grown massively. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and one of the main changes is, and exactly, you know, the kind of thing that your podcast is doing is showing people that sobriety, it's a positive lifestyle change. It's yeah. not something you do because you're somehow damaged and you can't drink like a gentleman or whatever. Um, and therefore you've got to quit. It's actually, no, life's a lot better when you don't drink. Mm. I've been um, alcohol free for just over six years now. And wow. I read those two, but I read your book and Annie's book quite, I had the, the universe really had my back. But back when I first stopped, it was still such a thing for someone to have 30 days away from booze that people were sponsoring them. People were like doing that charity thing. Yeah. And I would say to people, like reflect on that for a minute, that, that it was such a big thing not that long ago that people would pay money. <laughs> and, and now luckily, now we've got experiments and, you know, and all this amazing yeah. stuff where people are just like giving it up for a month to experience it. But back then it was like, it's going to be so, it's so hard. It's such this terrible thing. So yeah, things are quick um, happening quickly. And let's just hope that the kind of like um, dissemination of information and, and how that's happening more and more exponentially let's hope that that is like that's a an, an estimate that that is that proves us wrong right because i you know i yeah it's really interesting to be inside a bubble because when you're in it and you look around you it's like everybody we're all saying the same thing or very similar things mm. and this community is quite small and we've all got our others you know it's really lovely to meet everybody and but it's a drop in the ocean at the moment mm. um and i, I just that. think yeah good sorry ellie go on Sorry, I was just going to say, but I, th I think the the important thing is to keep showing up. Yeah, you know, whoever you are and whatever you're doing in 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 the sober community, because the the ripple effect, and you don't always readily see it, right? But it it happens, and you know, I I had an experience recently with um, some of my my dearest friends, and. These are my friends of old from university days who, quite frankly, up until me stopping drinking, we'd never done anything together that didn't involve alcohol, like mm -hmm. ever. <laughs> Every, you, know, you, you pick the occasion, we can fit alcohol into it. That's how, how it was. And uh, their, their lifestyle is very different to mine. Um, and so the, the sort of, the, there are other changes um, that we've had to shift with in our you know how your relationships change over time but when I first stopped drinking they didn't get it at all that it was it was all like this is a bit weird what, what's wrong with you <laughs> um it, it just, I, I was going through the alcohol experiment and and I felt really uncomfortable talking about it because it was so new for me and I wasn't sure I, you know I, I had such a bloody surprise that it was so much better than I thought it was going to be and so we're now, you know, getting on for 18 months and a bit on. And they, um, they came to visit recently. And um, for the very first time, they came with no... So normally they'd come with cases of champagne and we'd have cases of champagne here for them, even if we weren't drinking. 
and they came with no alcohol, not not a drop. And and I felt really awkward because, oh, God, you know, oh, they're my guests and I want them to feel comfortable and at home. And, and they said, oh, no, we're going to have an al- alcohol light weekend. And they, they did have a, like, I managed to find some Baileys in the back of the cupboard somewhere and a, and a baby shanty. <laughs> <Some turtles, Baileys. laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so they, they, they had a couple of drinks, but the whole weekend was punctuated by, God, you know what? I feel really good. I've had a really good night's sleep. Mm, and yeah. and it was it was just so lovely um, for us to all have a wonderful time together, for everybody to feel comfortable and um happy and enjoying each other's company but to hear this like they're all again their own experience of this is actually something too this is actually quite good and and even if that just means that they have another alcohol light weekend and then that might be with some other friends and then they're like oh hang on a minute so good and uh, yeah and that so i think that ripple that keeps showing up that ripple effect it's you can't measure that but the tide is turning for sure. It is. I think it, the point is, even if someone has no desire to stop and they're a committed drinker and they're perfectly happy with it, even at that level, they know that they wake up feeling tired and maybe have a hangover. But on the other hand, they think it's worth it because you know what? I can't enjoy social occasions without a drink. I have a much better time with it. If they then see someone not drinking and bearing in mind most people's perception of an you know someone who's stopped drinking is probably because they're you know alcoholic in inverted commas Um, and so you have this image of someone just sat there miserable and depressed because they can't drink anymore but then if they see someone going out and enjoying themselves without drinking it can be such a massive thing because it's like well hang on if I can go out and enjoy myself without drinking why am I putting up with all the tiredness and the hangovers and all the rest of it? Mm. And that can be massive for people. So it's so true what you say, just seeing if you go out and you don't drink and you smile and you enjoy yourself, that will, that will impact people because people will be thinking, do you know what, if I could do that, I could, why would I be waking up hungover and tired the next day? I can have my cake and eat it. Mm. That's it. And it's cool. You know, I talk about the, my, you know, I call my thing, the sober rebellion. I tell you, it is a rebellion. Like you're going against the grain. It makes you stand out, you know, this identity of, you know, you get to own that. And the, the best way to send that message is to be that person, not to go around, you know, talk, you know, the quickest way to, you know, end up annoying your mates is to start, you know, really talking about it all the time in my experience. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's amazing to like, yeah, people are like, people come up to me at music festivals and they're like, what are you on? I'm like fresh air. It's fine. Um, you know, it's crazy because people assume yeah. that because you're dancing, then you must be either drunk or, or whatever, you know, but mm-hmm. William, uh, there was a question that I said we were going to ask you. And I'm really interested to know. Um, you often like ask about like something surprising um, that you didn't expect from like your alcohol free journey. Um, did you have any time to reflect on that? Or is there anything that comes to mind that yeah, it might not be the most interesting one, but I thought I would go over for interesting. Go <laughs> I thought it. I would go for honest over interesting because the one thing I didn't. So when I quit drinking, I knew I had to drink uh, to stop. I knew it couldn't go on. It was getting more and more out of hand. And I kind of resigned myself because I've never liked socializing. I've always considered myself to be a bit of an introvert. And the only part of socializing I ever enjoyed was the drinking part of it. For me, 
it just there was nothing enjoyable about socializing so when I quit I knew I was never going to drink again I was actually determined absolutely determined not to drink again but I was also resigned that I would never enjoy a social occasion again because there was not going to be alcohol involved and I think the most surprising thing I discovered is that not only did I enjoy social occasions I enjoyed them more and I actually found that I am quite sociable, providing I'm talking about something I'm interested in. That's where I was going wrong all those years. (laughs) It was being with people who I didn't really have anything, you know, they would be talking about something that I didn't have an interest in. um, And I just didn't really feel any affinity to them. Um, And for me, that is what I think, I thinking of myself as an introvert, it was just most people probably sounds really arrogant and unpleasant, but most people didn't interest me. But when I'm with the right people, I have a really nice time. Yeah. Do you know, I was talking about this today when I, when I went live in, um, in the group for the live alcohol experiment, talk about the superpowers of an introvert and how uh, people often give like this list of ways which they think it holds them back. But connection is just as important, but it's the way that we connect. And mm. I recharge alone. I recharge my batteries alone as well, but, and I'm much more comfortable in smaller groups than I am larger ones. But yeah, that feeling, humans are built for connection. Mm. And it's interesting that maybe, I don't know, but as you were saying that, that's such the flip of the experience that most people have. And alcohol was blocking you from connecting with people. How crazy mm. is that? So mm. there's so many people out there thinking, how am I going to connect without alcohol? Well, actually, for so many of us, it's getting in the way. In fact, I would argue mm. that for anybody, it's actually getting in the way because you only have to look around you at bloody whenever in the morning to realize that there's not much connection going on once everyone's sloshed and, you know, yeah. that, it's gone, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and just to add on to that, I was talking to um, somebody earlier on today about the coach training with this naked mind and... I was saying that one of the things that has just been the biggest gift from it is meeting other people, like-minded people. And, you know, so at this, still at this junction, Sam and I have not met physically in the real. And, and the, the connection that we have is so deep and you can find these people and build these relationships. Like the, the people that I've met in the last 18 months, uh, some of my closest, dearest friends, and I can have conversations with them that I don't know who I'd have had those conversations with before. So it's it really does open up something else entirely. And I think it is strongly linked to the connection that you have with yourself and showing up as yourself, authentically as yourself, and spending time with the people that you want to spend time with, talking about the things that you want to talk about and being unapologetic about it. Mm. And, and that doesn't mean being, you know, rude. It just means, you know, <laughs> understand, understanding what's, um, you know, what's important to you and what's meaningful to you and seeing that through. And, you know, people don't like talking about boundaries because, oh, God, boundaries, and that's going to be really difficult. But you know, what kind of life do you want to lead? And mm. what we talk about here is it's all about, you've got this opportunity for this extraordinary life. And, 
you know, the, removing alcohol is just the first part of it. There are, there are so many facets to it. And so to have that, I really like your answer, William. Like, in, in fact, <laughs> yeah. I, I like I like it more than I could ever have imagined I would like it because it's like I I get it, and I um, uh, it's it's been I think it's been a bit weird because of COVID and not having access to the same um, types of social social occasions as we would have otherwise. But it you really have to feel your way, and then Sam said this thing the other week about a high quality no and I really like that because it's like well you know that's that's not for me and it's going to be a high quality no it's going to be a very considered deliberate intentional nope I'm going to do something else that's more meaningful instead yeah I think that's good it yeah so thank you so much for coming on it's amazing and I think but when this airs we still won't have all met in person but actually soon after we will we will have because we'll meet <laughs> at simon's event in oh, you're, um, you're simon's are you yeah so it'll excellent, be absolutely excellent. awesome and that's the kind of thing where like I, i'm so excited because i know it's going to be such a ball and there are so many people that um you know from this amazing community that that i have i've never met and there's been so much amazing connection happening online that to to be there in person is going to be such a special thing so i'm so excited to meet you there william and, and ellie you know, yeah, it's going to be wild. It's, there's, there's something. There's nothing quite like about a sober, like <laughs> meeting. Because I think yeah. going out with drinkers, and uh, this again might sound horrible, but it's it's unpleasant when the alcohol kicks in, because you know they start repeating themselves. They start spitting when they talk. They start standing too close to you. They they think they're yeah. funny and they're not, and it's just not pleasant socialising with them. But when you're with people, a big group of people who aren't drinking, it's just so different. You have proper, genuine conversations with people, and it's fantastic. And you realise so quickly that you're having a good time. Yeah. Like you're just, it's instantly sort of like um, there. The date is there, and it's like wow, amazing. And yeah, so yeah, amazing. Like I'm really looking forward to connecting um, there with you. And and uh, yeah, we'd love to have you on again at some point to come and have a chin wag about something else if you'd be open to that. So definitely, very Thank excited you. too. Yeah, definitely. So we know there's some cool things in the pipeline for you um, in terms of, you know, with the with the work with TNM and with the nicotine track and things like that. But what can people do if, if if this is the first time that people have come across you, William? What you know, what what's out there for people to go and tap into and, and grab in terms of books? And, you know, how can people connect with you? So the, probably the best place is the website, which is alcoholexplained.com. So there's obviously there's links to the books there anyway, but the first five chapters of Alcohol Explained are on there. So you can read those and see what you think of them. Um, and then I think there's links to everything else from there, but there's the usual, there's Instagram, there's a Facebook group. Um, and yeah, that that's it really, the sort of usual bits and pieces. And of course, talking at Simon's event on the... Um, 2nd of january so yeah we need to awesome. plug that to yeah plug i mean well we, we have spoken about it we'll plug it again but yeah absolutely it's going to be an absolute it's going to be so cool to have so many people there yeah, and there's some nice amazing speakers in yeah. person as well yeah awesome okay well i'm just hanging a minute let me just uh, click this this big stop button and then we can uh, we can have a chin before we all go to bed 
What a wonderful chat with someone who's had such a profound impact on me and Ellie personally, I'm sure many of you tuning in, but also just the movement in general. And he's so humble and so giving with it and uh, has such a wonderful energy. So we know that you will have enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed uh, having the conversation and putting this together. So just to say with Simon's event, we know that's been cancelled. We decided it was just such a lovely chat around socialising there that we'd absolutely leave that in there. And uh, we really look forward to meeting you in 2022 when uh, when that's rescheduled um, because it's going to be a fab event when that when that comes round. Have an amazing week. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>